Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which we play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, we will be discussing Donkey Kong Jr. Before we get started with this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. I got some feedback about a previous show from Pack Billy. Pack Billy says, I know this comment comes a bit late, but I didn't hear the fourth and inches episode until yesterday. I wanted to clarify that Accolade did, in fact, make an official team construction disc for the Commodore 64 version. I still have mine, and it still works. Apart from trying to recreate my favorite college teams, I also used it to create a team of all my friends from the neighborhood. So first of all, that's really cool <laughs> to uh, uh, make football teams of all your friends, uh, especially you know in the neighborhood kids probably that you play street football with. Uh, and second of all, this is a good point that not every old game is documented. Not every website has up-to-date information. And so part of what I like to do is not only get information from those websites, but also update and provide information where we can so we can have the most uh, complete information as far as historical documents, as far as documenting, keeping track of all this old stuff. So I'm going to go back. I think I got that information off of Moby Games, but I'm going to go double check and make sure uh, that that is up to date. So thanks for letting me know about that. We're going to move on to the news because there is quite a bit of news on this episode. Uh, first of all, just some personal, I don't, well, I don't know that it's personal type news. Um, for those of you who know or don't know, I run a web, uh, what do you call it? I guess a Facebook page called Vintage Video Game Ads. You can find that at facebook.com forward slash Vintage Video Game Ads. And the goal of Vintage Video Game Ads is to post one ad Every day for an old video game, I have laboriously, I guess is the right word, scanned in magazine ads, video game ads for uh, arcade games, console games, computer games, lots and lots of Commodore 64 ads, and I post one a day. And I've had some people tell me that they don't really do Facebook, that they're more Twitter people. So there is a new vintage video game ad uh, account on Twitter and it is just video game ads because vintage video game ads wouldn't fit. But I think if you search either way, I put the full name as vintage video game ads. So either way, I'll put a link to that on Twitter. So if you want to subscribe to that on Twitter and basically what you will get is every morning you will see one video game ad. So it may be a game you know about, maybe a game you don't know about. It might be a favorite. It might be a closet classic. You never know. Uh, but, um, anyway, so vintage video game ads, um, I also just joined a new podcast. It may be a podcast you've heard of, and it's called the No Quarter Podcast. It was previously hosted by Carrington Vanston and Mike McGinnis, and I think Carrington retired. They did 125 episodes of No Quarter together, which is amazing. That is a really good run for a podcast, especially the fact that they're on a weekly schedule. So Carrington 
decided to step down from the show, and the guys contacted me and said that I might be a good fit. So I have – I don't want to say I took over for Carrington because Carrington is a wonderful podcaster. And if you haven't checked out all his shows on monsterfeet.com, you should go there. He did a show – Similar in style to this one called One Megahertz, but it was for Apple II games and provided some Apple II information. And it was uh, one of the reasons that got me to start this show. And he, of course, did No Quarter and he does the Retro Computing Roundtable. And and all his shows, I think all his retro shows or retro theme shows uh, are available on Throwback Network. But uh, you could get them right from the source at MonsterFeet, like TwoFeet.com. Uh, so go over there and check that out. So uh, I'm really looking forward. We just did our first episode of No Quarter, and we have a new URL set up for the we- or uh, for the podcast. It's a new website, NoQuarterPodcast.com, and there's a new iTunes feed, RSS feed, whatever, however you want to subscribe to shows. So I'm looking forward to uh, bringing what I can to that show and podcasting with Mike. And uh, Mike is going to push my – that we have a, a score competition for each game that we play. We play arcade games once a week in Maine, and at the end of the show, we compare scores. And uh, Mike bested me on the first show on a game that I thought I did pretty good on, so I'm going to have to <laughs> have to step my game up a little bit. But uh, anyway, so if you're into arcade games, listening to podcasts, go check out NoQuarterPodcast.com. My friend Sean from Throwback Reviews has launched his own uh, podcast about running. He is a, a, a likes to jog. He likes to run, and uh, so it kind of makes sense that he would want to do a show about that. And his new show is called The Average Runner. You can find it over at theaverageRunnerPodcast.com. dot com. And uh, his show. And by the way, I'm not a huge runner. Well, I don't. I don't run. I mean, even if somebody was chasing me, I might run for a few seconds, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to give in pretty quickly. Um, but uh, I did listen to the first episode, and it's really good. I mean, it kind of inspires you. If you're, like, on the fence about wanting to get started exercising or running or jogging, I, I highly recommend going over and listening to that. And his show inspired the game that we're going to do next on Sprite Castle, which is Track and Field. So if you want to check out Sean's new show, go over to theaveragerunnerpodcast.com. Now let's get into some Commodore 64 related news. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about is Reset Magazine. If you're not reading Reset Magazine, it is absolutely fantastic. You can get print copies. There are a limited number of print copies that uh, you can pay for to have shipped out, but you can read each episode for free on the internet. You can find them over at reset.cbm, like Commodore Business Machine, cbm8bit.com. Uh, and they just released issue number six. And in this issue, uh, they just they, they review all the new games that are coming out. They give you all kinds of uh, tips and things about, uh, oh, new pieces of Commodore hardware that are being released. They have interviews. They have all kinds of great information. So uh, definitely go out and check out Reset 64 uh, magazine. There have been a slew of new Commodore 64 games that have been released, including the one we're going to be talking about today. But uh, some other ones that have been released are Bruce Lee 2, which uh, had an interesting development path, I guess you would say. The I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the old 8-bit version of Bruce Lee from the 1980s. 
that inspired uh, an updated Windows version of Bruce Lee not too long ago, uh, a few years back. And then there was a sequel on PCs for Bruce Lee 2, and then that game has been converted back to 8-bit machines, including the Commodore 64. There's also been uh, a version of Ultima 4 that was remastered. It has some uh, really beautiful graphics that have been inserted into it. Um, not just the sprites and tiles, but um, you know splash screens and things like that. It's, it just looks fantastic. Uh, so if you're an adventure RPG gamer, you're definitely going to want to go check out uh, the new remastered version of Ultima 4. There's also a new version of Commando called Commando Arcade. It has new levels put in, it has updated graphics, updated sound, music. Uh, I'm just so excited about this stuff. I just really, it amazes me that uh, Commodore games are still being made, either updated or brand new things from scratch or ports of stuff. It's just so, it, it's really an exciting time right now if you're a, a fan of the Commodore computer. So definitely, I will have links to all these games in the show notes. I... Originally, I, I never imagined that I would be covering new games on this podcast. Uh, you know, my plan was to talk about the games that I loved growing up, but uh, some of these games may work into. And of course, I may do episodes like I may do a version of uh, or an episode of Bruce Lee, and then uh, mention you know Bruce Lee too, or uh, do Commando, and then talk about this new release Commando Arcade. So I may try to work some of them in that way, but uh, really good stuff. Um, and, and just goes to show how passionate, um, not just the, the programmers and, uh, you know, that people were that love the Commodore 64, that things are still being made today. So really cool stuff there. Uh, one last thing I wanted to mention is, uh, there's a new version of the D64 editor, which you can find at d64editor.com. D64 are virtual disk images that can be used with, uh, I guess most any Commodore 64 emulator. But if you are trying to manage those disk images, you can use D64 Editor. You can move files around. You can add spacers in between files. If you've ever seen all the fancy things that people do in directories, this is one easy way to do that. So if you are dealing a lot with D64 images, you definitely want to go check out the D64Editor.com. And now let's move on to this episode's King of the Castle. On the last episode, I played Druid, and the song that appeared at the end of Druid was Do You Believe in Magic? <laughs> See how punny I am. Uh, and the king of the castle for this episode, the first person to guess that song, was Jeff, also known on Twitter as Style. Jeff is this episode's king of the castle. I had three entries within an hour, and again, I thought it was interesting because uh, one was through Jeff's winning uh, response was through Twitter. Second place within half an hour of that was Pete Motion Ride, who uh, came up with the correct response on Facebook. And I believe through email, I got a comment from Ferg from the Atari 2600 Game by Game podcast, which is another great show you should be listening to. Uh, so again, very stiff competition between Twitter, Facebook, and email, but it's whoever's first, and this time it was Jeff. So congratulations, Jeff. Wear your king of the castle crown proudly throughout this episode. I got a little throne sitting over here for you, um, like a, a fancy one, not a toilet. Don't get crazy, people. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? You're the king of the toilet for the episode. 
Uh, so anyway, congratulations to Jeff. Uh, those were this week's headlines brought to you by my local paper boy who just delivered this morning's newspaper into my wife's bird bath. All right. Boy, what a headache. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Donkey Kong Jr. had me thinking about all kinds of fruits and vegetables, things that uh, hang on the vine in the game. There are, it looks like, maybe some some mangoes, there are some different apples, and of course there are bananas. So I thought, I should have something uh, healthy with all this fruit in it. And so what did I have? A banana split from Brahms, <laughs> which is not healthy at all, but it does have bananas in it. Uh, Brahms... Dairy is located their their home headquarters are in Tuttle, Oklahoma, which is gosh about five or ten miles from me uh, and they only have stores within a three hundred mile radius of Tuttle, Oklahoma, and that is so they can have their product be fresh so that their trucks can uh, deliver things every day to their stores and that the drivers can be home at the end of the night. According to Wikipedia, there are two hundred and eighty Brahm stores in operation with one hundred and twenty eight of those in Oklahoma. 99 in Texas, 27 in Kansas, 13 in Arkansas, and 13 in Missouri. So if you live right here in the Midwest, then hopefully you have experienced the delicious ice cream from Brahms. I should get Brahms to sponsor this episode because you know what I would like? is like a year's supply of banana splits. God, that would be so good. Uh, Brahms also makes hamburgers and, and french fries. There, It's like a fast food type of place. But their specialty is their dairy products, uh, milk that comes right from uh, the the Brahms farm, and you get it. You know, it's 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 like fresh from that day. The Brahms milk is like drinking vanilla ice cream. <laughs> it is so amazingly good, um, and their ice cream is also fantastic. Anytime somebody visits from out of town, uh, if you come here to visit and you come stay with the Flagster, you're probably going to end up having some ice cream from Brahms. One thing I remember about Brahms, uh, this has turned into the Brahms episode, but, but I do want to say that um, uh, in the early, early 80s, this is 81, 82, around the time Donkey Kong Jr. came out, they got uh, then-beginning comedian, I guess, Jim Varney. Uh, you may know him as Ernest. We always called him the Hey Vern guy, but he was a spokesman for Brahms, and so he did a slew of Brahms commercials. I actually got to meet Jim Varney, he did a meet and greet at a local Brahms restaurant, and I think he signed an 8 by 10 for us, and we went and got some ice cream. Uh, and there are many Brahms uh, earnest commercials on YouTube, so here's a quick one. Hey, Vern, hurry up for that old TV set. Look what I brought us, some of that delicious Brahms premium ice cream, Vern. Got your German chocolate, got your butter brickle, got your chocolate almond. Brahms. Just a thing, Vern, when you're waiting to see the big game. Just your buddy Ernest have a look at this. There's your problem, Vern, right there. See that little bit of wire there? Looks like it might have a Lord, and my daddy used to work on that one. Anyway, I, I uh, always like Jim Varney. Uh, the Ernest, boy, some of those movies got pretty bad <laughs> when he went to prison and, and uh, gosh, all those 
yeah, I always saw him as kind of the second second rate Pee Wee Herman. I hate to say that because uh, I do like Jim Varney and and I definitely liked him like in Toy Story and and uh, a lot of the things he did. But that Ernest character had a a way of grating on your nerves after a while. So anyway. That is enough talk about Banana Splits and Brahms and Jim Varney, and let's get to this episode's game, which is Donkey Kong Jr. Donkey Kong Jr. was published for the Commodore 64 in 2014 by Mr. Sid. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. Now, there were three people that worked on this game or are credited for working on this game. The code and the porting was done by Mr. Sid, a.k.a. Andreas Varga. Music was done by Encore, also known as Mikkel Hastrup. And the graphics were done by STE86, Stephen Day. Now, when I saw those two names, Mr. Sid and STE86, I thought, I've heard of these guys before. And sure enough, they are the guys that worked on the port of Prince of Persia to the Commodore 64. Now, that port, first of all, that was an amazing, gosh, just amazing programming to be able to take a game like Prince of Persia and get it to run on the Commodore 64. But it doesn't run on a a stock Commodore 64. You have to have memory expanders or different uh, things like that. So it's easy to play on emulation or on a real Commodore 64 if you have a memory expander. Uh, but it does take some tricks to get that thing to work. But their port of Donkey Kong Jr. runs on a stock Commodore 64. And I have to tell you, I don't want to jump ahead here, but this game is so amazing. It looks and sounds and plays so amazing. I have looked at graphics side by side of the Commodore 64, and they're in a lot of places. The backgrounds, uh, I think it looks better than the arcade version, which I never thought I would say for a Commodore 64 game, but uh, it's just an unbelievable bit of programming here. Now, the arcade version of Donkey Kong Jr. came out in 1982. This version is a port of the Atari 7800 version. And so it kind of has an interesting lineage. Um, The original arcade version played on the, uh, or used a Z80 processor. Uh, It was ported to the NES, which of course has a 6502 processor. That version was ported to the Atari 7800 which apparently uh, is very similar in structure to the Commodore 64. It has the same resolution or can do the same resolution, I should say, and has the same processor. So the code, the game code for this version of Donkey Kong Jr. came from the Atari 7800 version. Now, the graphics and the music were all done from scratch. And man, does this game look and sound good. I mean, they just did a fantastic job. Now, I found out about this game because Mr. Sid posted about it on Lemon64 announcing it, and there's a long thread on Lemon64 discussing this game. So I sent Mr. Sid a list of questions about this game, and it's kind of funny because the day after I sent the questions to him was when the current issue of Reset64 was released, which contains an interview with Mr. Sid and has answers to most of the questions I asked and a lot more. So <laughs> this is kind of a uh, a short interview that I did, uh, and there's a much longer interview with him in Reset64. 
First question I asked him is, of all the games that never made it to the Commodore 64, what inspired you, and then I put you guys, to port Donkey Kong Jr.? Was it a favorite arcade game of yours? Mr. Sid said yes. It was one of the games that was in his own local arcade that he enjoyed the most. And I could relate to that. There are games that I definitely have um, strong feelings for, strong memories of, because I played them in a local arcade. So I understand that. My second question was, how long did it take from start to finish to port? Mr. Sid says approximately 200 hours of work spread over about four weeks. So that's four 50-hour weeks of working on this. If that is not a labor of love, I don't know what is. He also says that doesn't include the time Steven spent on the graphics and Mikkel spent on the music and sound effects, which, again, uh, are, are absolutely fantastic. My third question was, I said I'm not really sure how to word this question, but did you use video graphic tricks or techniques that weren't known about in the 80s? And why do the graphics in this release look so much better than many other arcade ports? Mr. Sid responds, no unusual tricks were used. It's just a matter of experienced artists and programmers and the luxury to take the time it takes to do it right. Most people doing arcade ports back in the 80s didn't have that last option. And that's true. I'm sure they had uh, deadlines that they had to meet and they cranked out these things. But again... If you look side by side at this versus um, the same game, uh, Donkey Kong Jr. on MAME or something, the de- if you just look down at the platforms on the first level, the platforms that are green with uh, brown support and the water, it this version blows that away. I don't know. Um, uh, I don't know why this version looks so good, but it really does. Um, My fourth question is about all the cracked versions of the game that have been released, and I asked him what his favorite version. I should explain that. Uh, There are groups, of course you know cracking groups from the 80s were the groups that would remove copy protection and release uh, games so that people could uh, illegally download them for free. Current cracking groups seem to be doing something different, although they still refer to themselves as cracking groups. This game wasn't released with any copy protection, but instead what they do is add trainers and high score savers and things like that. So if you go look on uh, CSDB, the uh, Commodore Scene database, where you can download this game, and I'll have links to that in the show notes, there are now like seven or eight releases for this game, which is kind of confusing because people don't know which one to download. So what's happened is all these different groups have gone in and added trainers and added documentation and high scores and things like that and released different versions. So that's what this question is about. Mr. Sid says he hasn't looked at all of them, but in general, they're a good thing if you like trainers. Personally, I prefer arcade-style games without trainers as they're all about memorization and skill. Trainers are good for story-based games where you might want to see all the levels. So that's true. Um, and then my final question, which uh, I got the answer I was kind of suspecting from other things I've read. I asked him what he plans on working on next, and Mr. Sid responded, I never talk about my plans, <laughs> which is the same answer uh, essentially that he gave in the Reset 64 interview. Uh, a couple other quotes that I found on Lemon64 about the game. He says that the graphics from this game were done from scratch to the highest standard by STE86, Steve Day with hints taken from the arcade and NES versions, but tweaked to look best on the Commodore 64. And that's true. There are a lot of things in this game that are look like the arcade, but they've been updated to look, you know, taken advantage of uh, things the Commodore can do. The music and sound effects have been painstakingly recreated for the Sid by Encore, Mikkel Hastrup, and complement the game brilliantly. Uh, so that, like I said, these guys deserve um, just huge kudos. It's a uh, a really good version of the game. 
Also, someone had asked on the Lemon64 forums if this version contained any of the bugs that are present in the arcade version. And Mr. Sid says no. Um, and uh, one of the examples was, uh, like, why does this version, why didn't it save high scores? And he says because the console versions never did and that this is a direct port of the Atari 7800 version, which is a direct descendant of the NES version. And uh, he said he assumes that the obvious arcade bugs had been fixed along the way. And then it's also possible that new ones were introduced. So anyway, uh, like I said, I will have a link to the uh, latest version of Reset 64 if you want to go read a longer interview that the magazine did with uh, Mr. Sid. Donkey Kong Jr. opens with an amazing opening splash screen drawn by STE86. It is fantastic, and even if you are not into arcade ports uh, or video games or Commodore new Commodore games, you should download it and just to see this picture. I mean, it's just amazing work. Some of the cracked versions add documentation, although I think it's pretty obvious what you're supposed to do in Donkey Kong Jr., after the splash screen, you will get the menu screen, which offers a choice of one to two players. There are three difficulty levels, which are standard, advanced, and expert. And by the way, if you're playing on expert, you are a masochist. <laughs> this game is hard enough on standard mode. Uh, and then also you get the Donkey Kong Jr. logo with the music playing in the background. The game is controlled by a joystick. Uh, you can move Donkey Kong Jr. left and right with the joystick, and when you uh, jump onto a vine or chains or anything that Donkey Kong Jr. can climb, you move up and down with the joystick moving up and down. Uh, Donkey Kong Jr. moves faster when he is holding onto two vines, and he moves down faster when he's only holding onto one. So if you're going up and need to go faster, you want to hold onto two. Uh, and, of course, the fire button makes Donkey Kong Jr. jump. There are four levels in the game, and this game follows the international order, not the U.S. arcade order. Um, we will talk a little bit about that in just a moment. The goal of each level is to save Donkey Kong, who has been captured by Mario, and so you do that by getting to the top of the level. The first three levels, you get to the top to reach a key. In the last level, you're going to have to push six keys up to free Donkey Kong. During this game, you will face multiple enemies, including Snap Jaws, which are little robotic alligator-type creatures, Nitpickers, which are purple birds, and Sparks, which are electrical sparks. Now, all versions of the game, other than the U.S. arcade game, had a consistent level order of 1, 2, 3, 4. Um, now, if you're familiar with Donkey Kong, you may know this, that most other versions of Donkey Kong follow the levels 1, 2, 3, 4, but the U.S. version had a unique level which played level one and then four and then one and then two and then four and then one and three and four and then finally one, two, three, four. And so Donkey Kong Jr., the U.S. arcade version, followed that same pattern. However, the home ports uh, just play the levels in order one, two, three, four. And so this, is, uh, this version is a port of the 7800 version. That's the same order that this uses. The first level is known as the Vine Stage. It is filled with vines that Donkey Kong Jr. climbs up and down. Uh, so again, you when you're climbing the vines, if you're holding onto two vines, you go up faster. And if you are only holding onto one, you go down faster. 
There's fruit located on or near the vines, and when you touch the fruit, you get points, and it falls down. And if there happens to be a snap jaw below you, it will uh, kill the snap jaw. The snap jaws can also, they can go on the platforms and they can go up and down the vines. Now, the red snap jaws will go up and down vines and the blue ones just go all the way down and then drop off the bottom. There are multiple ways to die on level one. You can fall into the water in between the platforms down at the bottom. You can fall too far. If you drop too far, you will die. And then obviously touching uh, any of the snap jaws will also kill you. And I guess theoretically, if you ran out of time, uh, you would also die. So lots of ways to die. Poor monkey. Uh, level two is the springboard stage. You have to jump across uh, a spring. Well, you start off by jumping off a spring, and you can either try to land on a moving platform or just go across platforms on the bottom. Uh, you hang from some little rope kind of things that move up and down, climb some chains. Uh, this level has nitpickers. Those are the purple birds that fly around, and they also uh, drop eggs now, the birds uh, fly in a, a repeatable pattern, so it's pretty easy to, to see where they're going to go. So you just have to uh, move Donkey Kong Jr. out of that pattern. Uh, again, the goal of this level is to reach the key up at the top to free Donkey Kong temporarily. On level three, this is Mario's hideout, and this level is different than uh, most of the other levels. And then instead of vines, uh, it takes place in Mario's hideout. Mario's hideout is guarded by electrical sparks. And there are two different kinds of sparks. Um, both follow a pattern. One type of spark goes from the top to the bottom. Uh, the other type of spark basically goes around these platforms. Um, and this is uh, this part. Part of this reminded me of Popeye uh, in the fact that Popeye is a game that I always get killed when I'm jumping over things because uh, I hit something on the level above me. And so in this level. Uh, the sparks not only will kill you if you run into them, but if you jump and their platform above you, there is a spark, uh, then that will kill you as well. And then the final level is the chains level. Now, if you're um, more familiar with the arcade version, this is the second level. Uh, but in this level, it is, or in this version, is the fourth level. And this is where you have to uh, push the six different keys up all the way up the chains to unlock these locks that are holding Donkey Kong captive. Uh, there are snap jaws on the chains. There are nitpickers flying from both directions. So this is probably the busiest of the four levels um, and the one that uh, uh, is probably the most difficult to beat. If you can get all six level or all six keys up to the top, you will free Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, and then the game will go back over to level one, but a little bit more difficult. Uh, Donkey Kong Jr. Trivia. This is the first game that introduced Donkey Kong Jr. as a character. So um, this is his debut video game. This is also the game that changed Mario or that introduced Mario uh, his name. Because as you probably know, in Donkey Kong Jr., he is just referred to as Jumpman. Uh, in this game, he's actually named Mario. So this is where we learn what his name is. And Donkey Kong Jr., the character appears in four games. Donkey Kong Jr., Super Mario Kart, uh, Mario Tennis for the Virtual Boy, and Mario Tennis 64. I don't know why I always assumed that uh, Donkey Kong Jr. had grown up and was Diddy Kong <laughs> in Donkey Kong Country. I guess that is a a Donkey Kong newbie mistake that I shouldn't have made. And Diddy Kong is Donkey Kong's nephew. So I guess Diddy Kong and Donkey Kong Jr. are cousins. So there you go. 
Of course, there are no classic reviews uh, from this game, but uh, Reset64 did review this game. They gave it 9 out of 10, and uh, it was well-deserving of that rating. This is a fantastic port of Donkey Kong Jr. Um, Definitely, if this had been released back when other arcade games were being released for the Commodore 64, it would have set the bar so high. I can't imagine what other ports... Uh, I mean, it, it makes other ports just look silly. It, it's so good. Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, was ported to lots of things, but not the Commodore 64. Other than the arcade version, it appeared on the Atari 2600, the 7800, which looks pretty similar to this one, the Atari 8-bit computers, the Coleco Atom, the Coleco Vision, the Game Boy Advanced, Intellivision, the Nintendo Entertainment System, Nintendo 3DS, and it's also appeared on the Wii and the Wii U. So um, lots of uh, ways to play Donkey Kong Jr., and now perhaps one of the best ones is on the Commodore 64. That covers Donkey Kong Jr. Now let's talk about my personal memories. So when I was a kid, my sister was an expert at Tetris. I have mentioned her Tetris skills before. I would put her at the time, I would have put her up against anybody. I would have bet money on her in a Tetris tournament. Uh, something about, I don't know if it was the way her, her mind worked or just what it was, but uh, she was really good at Tetris. And so my, my dad looked into buying an arcade game of Tetris and couldn't find one, but he found uh, a a clone, I guess you would say, of Tetris called, uh, it's either pronounced Blockseed or Bloxed. It's B-L-O-X-E-E-D. We always said Blockseed, but I think it's Bloxed. Uh, from Sega, which is a Tetris clone, has some different features. And um, so we grew up playing that, and uh, it was the one arcade game we had in our house when, when uh, I was a kid. And the reason I mentioned this is because it was obviously a conversion, and the cabinet it was in was a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. So later, uh, when I got into collecting arcade games and buying arcade games, my dad said, you know, that, that old uh, Sega Blocks game is just sitting out in the garage and nobody's using it if you want it. And so I went over and I got it. And that was, you know, I knew more about arcade games at the time. And so then when I looked at the cabinet and looked at the back and, and found the plaque, that the Nintendo plaque and the serial number and all that, and found that it was – obviously, it was an orange Nintendo cabinet, so it was a pretty good giveaway <laughs> as to what it originally was. But it was originally a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet. And so um, I did eventually make that cabinet – uh, into a MAME cabinet, which a lot of people thought was blasphemy that I would take a Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet and make it a MAME cabinet. But what happened was the Bloxed PCB was a suicide board. It had a suicide battery, so the board eventually died and the monitor died. And uh, so there wasn't much in it, and there was nothing in it inside that was original. So I pulled that stuff out, and, and um, so I didn't mess with the cabinet itself. I just put a MAME machine inside there uh, and, a, and a working monitor. But a lot of times I would either, if I were firing everything up, I would either load up Donkey Kong Jr. on it so it would look like a real Donkey Kong Jr. cabinet or sometimes Excite Bike. And, and I think there were a lot of Excite Bike. I don't know what color cabinet Excite Bike really was, but I remember seeing uh, in our arcade there was one that was in an orange cabinet like that. So, uh, Also, the movie theater in my hometown had Donkey Kong Jr. I remember going. Uh, 
to the movies, my parents dropping me off and then playing Donkey Kong Jr. as I was waiting for them to come uh, pick me up after the movie started. I also remember Donkey Kong Jr. on the Saturday morning Supercade, the uh, Saturday morning cartoons back in the early 80s where they had video games. Of course, they had Pitfall and Donkey Kong and Space Ace and all those, uh, Dragon's Lair. But I definitely remember Donkey Kong Jr. Uh, in the cartoon, he was voiced by Frank Welker, uh, who is one of the most prolific voice actors of our time. He started uh, as Fred from Scooby-Doo in 1969 and has done hundreds and hundreds of uh, cartoon characters uh, in the Donkey Kong Jr. show. Uh, he joined up with this guy named Bones, uh, who was kind of like, I don't know, I guess he's kind of like the Fonz, I guess. And he had a motorcycle. And so, uh, Donkey Kong Jr. was always driving around looking for Donkey Kong and he would always scream monkey muscle, uh, which sounded a lot like puppy power, <laughs> scrappy do. Um, and then, uh, and so the two of them would go try to, to find Donkey Kong and occasionally Bones would save, uh, Donkey Kong Jr. when he got in trouble, but uh, there were 13 episodes of Donkey Kong Jr. They all aired in 1983 from September to December of that year, and there are a couple of them on YouTube. If you want to check it out, it is not uh, as great of a show as I thought it was when I was 10 years old, but uh, if you want to watch uh, Donkey Kong Jr. the cartoon instead of play the game, then uh, you could go do that. For graphics, I give Donkey Kong Jr. 5 out of 5 bananas. This game looks absolutely amazing. For music, I also give it 5 out of 5. They have taken the original theme and the original music and sound effects uh, and updated those to take advantage of the Commodore 64 SID chip. And this game, the music and the sound effects are both absolutely fantastic. On the gameplay, I give it 4 out of 5. I think it is... Um, I'm sure that it is um, consistent with the Atari 7800 version. There are a few times where it's hard to do things, like uh, you have to be lined up just right to make some jumps or get on the vines, but I think uh, I'm not flying that. I think um, it just makes it more challenging and makes you want to play it more. Overall summary for this game, I give this game 5 out of 5 bananas. This is a must-have must play for anybody who owns a Commodore 64 and likes arcade ports. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. The next game I will be covering is Track and Field. If you'd like to play Track and Field before the next show is released, head on over to SpriteCastle.com and click the Downloads link at the top of the page where you can download Commodore 64 emulators and all the games that have been reviewed on this show. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any other episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at robohara at robohara.com, contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SpriteCastle or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. SpriteCastle is available from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, the SpriteCastle.com RSS feed, and through throwbacknetwork.net, your home for quality retro podcasts. 
To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flack at podcast.robohair.com, Throwback Reviews at throwbackreviews.com, and the No Quarter Podcast at nocorderpodcast.com. All of these shows can be found on the Throwback Network. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore is Awesome, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. For links to these and more Commodore-related websites, check out the list of links at SpriteCastle.com. Thanks again for listening. Now quit monkeying around, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle.